0: The S&P, the this is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special Sunday mailbag edition with me, Scott Phillips, the Motley Fools Chief Investment Officer here in Australia, and him, Andrew Page, the straw man himself, the co-founder, the managing not co-founder. Oh, I, I think it's because the Motley Fool's got co-founders. The founder, <laughs> managing director, um, chief marketer, salesperson, stock picker. He does it all. Andrew Page, how are you, buddy? I'm good, mate. How are you? I'm really well. You know what? So here's the thing. Let, let me let me draw back the curtain uh, on on our podcast recording. We are recording this podcast exactly about 23 and a half seconds after Friday's podcast. And so, while I promised that as soon as we finished, this, I'd go to Strawman and check out Strawman Premium, I still haven't. So, if our listeners did listen on Friday, they've actually beat me to the punch. They know it already, and I don't yet. But I will, because Strawman Premium, you tell me, has been launched. Uh, we, we've announced that we're announced. going to launch it. Oh, yeah. okay. So,
1: because we are now in the future, um, <laughs> we've we've <laughs> right. we've since released. I, I wrote a, a big email to our to our members, sort of outlining what it's all about. If you go nice. to the website, you can see that. But what we've what we've now done too is we had a bit of a, a video chat. So it's really good we got heaps of heaps of uh responses heaps of pre-registration which is so cool um it's it's really exciting but we got a lot of questions too uh why how what kind of stuff and so we we really dove into it so again if you go to the site there'll be a bit of video you can watch and it'll it'll answer all of your questions scott and then hopefully a little <laughs> bit
0: more <laughs> i'm looking forward to it i'm sure it will i'm sure it will uh mate uh so look yeah trauman premium go and check it out as i've said before um, you you I kind of compete but we are kind of frenemies. You keep saying you, you keep happy. saying that dude I don't I
1: don't think we do at all. I think it's a very different uh, very different proposition. I think it's, so it's like we're, we're similar in the sense that we're all dealing with investing. Yeah. yeah. But you know we're in we're an investment club, you're a newsletter service. You know, it's sort of it's it's it, different different points
0: of value. So we're we're, bo- we're both in the market for stock ideas as I guess where I'm Yeah, totally, but but as totally. you say, um, if if you are only going to select two Places to get your investment ideas, I reckon. Monthly Fool and Straw Man are probably the two I'd choose. Oh, well, mate. I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm biased, but yes, totally. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, so yeah, quick, quick tangent, right? I've, I've been writing a little bit. I mentioned on Friday, writing a little bit this week about the returns that we've got at Share Advisor, which I'm very proud of, and I I'm not saying that you should two. be. You should be. It's hard to. Well, it's hard to get yeah. long term
1: outperformance. So which, well. yeah,
0: which which I'm not, we're not, I'm actually not saying it to big note myself. I was more making the point that when I was writing about that. Um, I I didn't write this line because I quote Warren Buffett way too much, as you well know. Um, Buffett, and this is actually an advertising line, by the way, but he writes in his annual report about Borsheim's, the jeweller that uh, Berkshire Hathaway owns. I own Mm. shares in Berkshire Hathaway, as our listeners well know, but just for clarification. And the tagline is, if you don't know jewellery, know the jeweller. And... I think that's probably right, although you know, I, I can't I can't vouch for the Borsheim's or for jewellery in general because I'm clearly not uh, a jewellery fanatic or, or well in, well uh, well informed in that area. But I will say that I reckon that applies maybe more to investing. I have to say now, people don't know you or I directly or individually, mm. but I'm you know it, having been around this for a little bit of time, there are some people I would happily give my money to invest. There are some services I'd happily sign up to. And there are plenty that I would give a massive, massive, wide berth to. And I'm not saying that because I'm biased. But if I think about the culture and the people I know at the Motley Fool, if I think about you and I have known each other now for how many years, mate? Eight years? I think it's a bit longer, be, actually. Yeah, really? be up there, there. It'd be go. close to a decade. There you go. Yeah. So you know, to the extent that to the extent that that's true, um, I don't know. You know, like there, bec- there's so much room in finance for people to play silly buggers. Um, there are some fund managers that I know personally or know of. Um, I'm going to give a random shout out, mate, to Forager Funds, run by Steve Johnson. Not because not they're, they're actually a competitor, we have a funds management business called Lakehouse Capital, so Joe may not be stoked to be mentioning this, but by the way, Joe Mager at Lakehouse is also a fantastic bloke. Um, Steve Johnson tweeted the other day, here's our, or a couple of weeks ago, here's our annual, annual numbers. They're great, but everyone did great, so don't, over, don't, don't, you know, don't put too much store in them. And I thought, you know what, as a fund manager, when someone says, look at these fantastic numbers, but they're kind of not as good as they look, that's a pretty good sign, right? When someone's actually talking themselves down to try and make sure they're giving really good information rather than just big note themselves for the sake of it, I reckon that's a, that's a pretty good sign, right? That you're dealing with a decent person. So anyway, long, long way of saying in investing, I reckon if you're, if you're dealing with signing up to taking advice from good people, like genuinely good people, you are just miles ahead of, of you know, thumbing fl- 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 through the yellow page or the virtual yellow pages these days and, and finding anyone, even those who have done well for one year or a couple of years, um, I would I would back someone I knew and trusted every day, even if they were underperforming in the short term, because they're the people I want to trust with my money. At the end of the day,
1: yeah, I I one thousand percent agree. And what I would say this is this is no one in the industry says it, but stuff it. I'm going to say it. Go for it. I, I think that the it's a statement of, it's a statement of the bleeding obvious. No <laughs> one cares about your money more than you do (laughs)
0: yeah exactly
1: you're the one who worked really hard for it you're the one that sacrificed and saved and you could have bought a jet ski you put it in the bank or did something sensible with it that's you right no one cares about it as much as as you do so it's kind of your responsibility so I think Mm. that there's Mm. a lot of great services um Mm. I said this at the time when I was at the fall as well. It's like yo, yeah. when you get you got people who are producing you know monthly investment ideas. That's a really valuable, you know, particularly yeah. as you say when you when you trust the trust the people and they've got a good track record. Yeah. But you you can borrow an idea. You can't borrow the conviction. I love ways That's it's, it's always a good line. I it's love so it. good, right? And and so it's sort of like so, oh yeah, such and such thinks I should buy this. I'm going to go and, and buy a thousand dollars worth of that. Great, and dr- mm-hmm. drop thirty percent tomorrow. Oh god, what do I do? You, and yeah. you, you will you will be completely confused because um, you know you, you 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 don't you've not taken ownership of that idea. So whether it's straw man, whether it's Motley Fool, whether it's some broker in a fancy suit um yeah absolutely draw on as much information as you possibly can but own the idea take personal responsibility for it because that's that's going to be the big swing factor in, in your long-term success as an investor yeah no, so i like it
0: mate. let's move on that that was actually a really really long intro but um yeah. I, I think it's actually a really useful lesson i think yeah, as you may as you at the end of the day here's the thing particularly for retirees right you don't get to earn any more money or much more money at some point yeah and what you have is what you have left. And I got to say, I'm a massive fan, as you are, of trying to beat the market, of getting the best return possible, that kind of stuff. Mm. But we talked about risk on Friday. I, I reckon the best, the, you know, one of the better ways you can minimise your risk is to invest in or with, or take advice from quality people doing quality things the right way, because it just means as mm. you know, it's not risk-free. Good people can still screw up entirely, um, but it just, I, I just think, yeah. It, <laughs> there are some risks I would take for slightly higher returns one of those is not investing with someone I didn't trust or didn't know well yeah yes let's, um, let's go to some questions we got from our listeners mate speaking of which a question from Alistair and Kelly hi Scott and Andrew love the podcast thank you I've been an avid listener since day dot how good's that sorry old school email big smiling <laughs> face sorry no hashtag or Twitter for me but no. ticking some of your boxes Scott I'm a female interested in investing. I'm an EO member and a long-time podcast listener. How good's that? Thank you, Alistair. and well, Obviously, Kelly, this one's coming from. Thank you, Kelly. Just a topic of discussion for you guys, she says. Would your investment strategy change? Now, this is really cool, mate. This is one I haven't had before ever, I don't think. Would your investment strategy change if you didn't have children? Let's say you were double income, no kids, mid-50s with a mortgage, SMSF, and a substantial inheritance in the next five or so years. Would love your thoughts. Keep up the great work. Uh, thanks, Kel. She says a P.S. I've got a suggestion for the podcast: guest speakers occasionally. Now, Kelly, Andrew's had his announcement. I don't have an announcement just yet, but I do have a watch this space because in the next week or two, we've got some news. So, just you've you, you've you've obviously read my mind, Kelly. I do have some news about some guests for the podcast, or well, something like that. I'll I'll tell you more about that in time. Anyway. Andrew, this is a really cool question because it's just a whole kind of context. Now, we can't give personal advice as ever, but it's kind of a fascinating question. Like, would your investment strategy change if you had a different outlook, if you had a different expectation, if you had a different desire or need or, or life situation? Would you yeah. invest differently? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, we're all in our own...
1: We're all running our own race. We've all got different situations and considerations, and mm. some people might be getting a huge inheritance. Some people might have to work, you know, their knuckles to the bone every day just to yeah, scratch right. scratch themselves, um, you know, climb climb a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it, that that is that is that is uh, plainly true. I, I can't I, I I can't pretend that I would invest differently if I was in a, that i that I wouldn't invest differently if I was in a different situation.
0: Hundred percent. Okay. So the question then from Kelly is how. Would you invest differently? Well, what's my situation? <laughs> so Kelly's double income, no kids, mid fifties, with a mortgage, an SMSF, and a substantial inheritance in the next five. or three yeah, years. yeah, I
1: would do it. Yes, I would invest very, very what would differently.
0: You do, what would you do differently?
1: I would take a hell of a lot more risk. Um, would you really? Yeah. Well, I'm using that word. I'm badly. I'm using that word in the way. <laughs> I'm using that word in the way that that financial planners would would use it. Well, what, <laughs> so what I'm what I'm saying by that is is I would be. Normally, someone who's um, sort of approaching their sixties, I would be sort of normally saying, "Hey, your income will be coming to an end soon as as you yep. a- approach retirement. Um, so you want to you want to take you, you want to put take more and more money out of the market because although it's the best by far vehicle for long term wealth creation, it's also yep. the most volatile as well. Yeah. And without an income, you know that that can really impact you in retirement. So you want to sort of shift it more to more conservative type mm, things. Mm, mm. But if if you've still got probably at least ten years of of good, in, you know, very strong income, no dependents, mm. and there's a big safety net in terms of a large inheritance coming down the mm, pike, mm, I just mm. think you can afford to leave more money invested in the market than you otherwise would. That's interesting. I like that. Okay,
0: I'm gonna I was gonna answer the question exactly differently, which is nice. So we'll give our listeners a bit of a, a bit of insight here. Oh, cool. So well, a couple things. So I'm gonna I'm gonna have a bit of a both sides of the story, then I'll come to an answer. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, first thing I, I would say is that, well, you should never actually rely on children to look after you in old age anyway. Um, if you don't have kids, that potential support mechanism does go away. So you, are, you, have, you have less ability to, you know, there's, there's some people who will maybe live, will live with their kids at some point or whose kids will look after them at some point, either financially or otherwise. If you don't have kids and if you don't have that support mechanism, you may, by the way, you may have nieces and nephews and stuff. Um, but it does mean that you kind of are, you have, you have one less uh, parachute so you have to some degree to be m- more self-sufficient. Now, plenty of people with kids are listening and saying, I'm not going to rely on my kids and that's all great. And I'm not, this is always a dangerous area, right? To start making assumptions on. Um, but I just would say that, you know, to, to whatever extent that exists for people with kids, that doesn't exist for people without kids. So the first thing is maybe I'd be slightly <laughs> extra keen to make sure I absolutely had my ducks in a row. Second thing though, is the reverse, mate. See, here's the thing. If I, I guess, I guess from, from, from having, having kids... Part of, my, part of my future planning is actually kind of kids' inheritance, right? Like I'm hoping to have enough money to leave some money to my kids, whether that's helping them with housing or, or, or being able to, to do something to help them out should they need it at some point. That's part of my wealth creation strategy or wealth creation plan, I suppose, that hopefully there's enough money that at some point, hopefully they're not listening right now because um, I, I don't know what time but I think they, they could be able to get a free ride. Uh, but know, yeah, I've got some opportunity to help them if I, if I wanted to. I, I'm going to say the, almost the reverse to what you said, mate, though, which is once you have enough, at some point, you kind of then go to like living life as life, right? Like if I get to a point and, and it's different for every person, but if I could rely on a degree of passive income, a level of passive income from a from a lump sum that was enough to satisfy my my income needs in retirement, I'm kind of thinking, you know what? I'd be I'd be taking my foot off the accelerator rather than rather doing the reverse saying, Maybe I'd get to five million, then ten million, then twenty million, then forty million, then eighty million. Look how much money I could have. At some point I'd be like, you know what? I'm now fifty nine and I've got I I don't, whatever the numbers are, right? Everyone's different. I don't have the inheritances. But you know, at some point, you're like, you know what? I could go and work for my stinking, annoying boss at my stupid, bloody office in my job I don't really love. Or I can look around and go, I've got enough money now and I've got no obligations. I to actually go and and do those things I actually wanted to do. So I'd almost do the reverse, mate, which is not take less risk necessarily, but just reorient my financial life and say, you know, as much as the, as as maybe when I look at scorecards as a way of kind of saying, are we doing a good job? The reverse is like, at some point, I'm like, you know what, I've got enough money. I, I don't need to make much more money or, or I can cover my life needs, my income needs with my passive income. I'm going to go traveling or when we can or I'm going to go and do pottery or I'm going to go and do whatever. Um, I think I'd be aiming to actually kind of go to that kind of post-work part of my life as quickly as my finances allow me. And I'd probably, at some point, so once I've locked in a passive income, I'm kind of there. Well, it probably answers the question, doesn't it? So it, the, the, the answer to the
1: question is start... With your goals in mind, not yes, your financial right, goals, you go. your life yes. goals. Life goals. Yep. Totally. You know, was, you know what, what? What do I want out of this yep. thing before yep. I uh, kick off this mortal coil? Um, and then you go and say, well, then inductive thinking from that point. So, how much yeah, nice. money do I need to do nice, that? Nice, and nice. therefore, how much have I got now? And where do I need to get? Just work it backwards.
0: Mm-hmm. That'd be the way to do it. Yeah, and no, I like it. I, t- I think that's a really, <laughs> it's a really good point. You, you'll, um, you'll, you'll, you'll be amused by this, mate. As, as we're chatting, I got an email I'll just pop up. Uh, from my local real estate agent, who has said, you know, sent me, sent an email to to myself, and my wife, by names, so or obviously on a mailing list, uh, with an impressive property nearby. Uh, it's only selling for five point seven five million dollars. So if that was my life goal, mate, trust me when I say I would be I wouldn't be giving up work well, at t- all. Two bedroom unit and barrel <laughs> yeah. is it? Is that <laughs> Pretty much. about what you uh, get for five million? I have, these that's days? Seven bedrooms on five acres, which which I, I would love, but I don't have a spare five and a quarter five a quarter million <laughs> dollars. Uh, but no, I think you're right, mate. That that's that is the point. I'll start with the end in mind. Um, I don't. I mean, I've got I got lots of cool. I, I want to go do lots of travelling and stuff at some point in my life and. Um, for those who, who remember I was on holidays for, for a few weeks in, in uh, June and July but um, I'd happily do much more of that so I, I, you know as much as I love my job and I, I can't imagine ever giving up work um, I, I, I'm hoping to get to a point where I'm like you know what my financial needs are catered for The my, my wealth accumulation is for a purpose rather than just for its own sake um, and at some point I'm hoping to kind of be able to, to do more of that sort of stuff so I guess I, I'm, I'm not a double income no kids we've got a couple of kids um, but I'd happily look towards that part of my life at some future point. Yeah, cool. Nice. Hey, question from Raj. A Great great question, Colin. Thank you for listening. Thanks for being a female listener too, mate. And if you would do me a favour and tell your friends, I'd love it. Okay, Raj says, Hi, Scott and Andrew. I'm a regular listener of the Motley for Money podcast. Thank you, mate. There's been a lot of commentary recently regarding inflation. The usual advice to protect your portfolio from inflation, says Raj, is to invest in commodities and gold and avoid bonds. (laughs) Having done some research, one option I came up with was a thing called ILB. It's a stock code which is the iShares Government Inflation ETF. I wanted to know what you think about such an ETF as a hedge against inflation. Thanks, Raj. What do you reckon, mate? I feel as though we've covered inflation like for almost every
1: episode, that's gone up. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's on people's minds, right? I just yeah. struggle. I struggle to, to add anything new. I, look, I would say, I, I'm, I really don't. I, that's uh, brokers are always going to be telling you that you need to switch and cycle and do that because <laughs> they, they want you to trade, right? So they no, don't sure list. Not. Don't ask the barber if sure you need enough. a haircut, right? That's that's the first rule. Um, I would also say if you want to, it it comes. There is a, there is a degree of tr- all good lies have a degree mm. of truth to them. <laughs> You know, that's why they that's why they're so powerful. But right. but it's it's sort of only true <laughs> it still requires you to, to time things mm. remarkably well because mm. the reality is that those kind of commodities over time just don't really do that much. So yes, you can pick points where they were super low and sell when they were super high, but that's true of anything, yeah. right? Yeah. Like that, that. So it's kind of, I don't like that argument because I could say, well, I could do, I could make crazy returns with Telstra if I only buy at the lows and sell, like if I do that every yeah. day, I'll yeah. make a fortune. So it's yeah. a, it's a, it's a spurious argument to me, right? Um, and then then it says, well, if you, if I can't figure out. The exact right timing of all of these th- mm. things. Well, wh- mm. when am, when am I going to buy? And am I? And, and if, if if these inflation concerns don't manifest themselves, <laughs> or they don't manifest themselves, which is entirely possible, in the way that everyone expects, yeah. because you know what, experts and all of us are always wrong when we look at the future. Just that's just demonstrably human. Like just, that's the human experience, right? It's it's yeah. that's the yeah. track record. Um, I I just I just feel it's like trying to be a bit too clever by half. So, but look, if you did want to get exposure, and that's the approach that you wanted to take, yeah, you could you could probably do worse than that.
0: Yeah, I think that I think that's a really good point, man. I think that's th- there's there's two questions here, right? One is, one is, you know, would you should you try and avoid inflation, and then if you go to how, and then to Raj's question, if you've decided to make that decision, what should I invest in? And to some degree, I think that's the question he's asking. Mm. Um, I don't know of a time when shares have consistently underperformed inflation. Hmm. And so I have to say that I understand the need. The other thing, I, you kind of made the point about brokers. I'll make the point about about fund managers. Um, they, they are called in the jargon in the industry, product manufacturers. And for once, I actually like the jargon because that's hmm. better than fund manager, right? Because it really yeah. tells you exactly what's going on. Yeah. Someone has gone and said, hey, this is inflation. Thing. People are kind of scared of it. So if we create something and we write in the product disclosure statement so they can Google it, uh, uh, protect against inflation. When someone Googles up this, comes up, oh, cool. So I've got a concern about inflation. I want to protect against it. This product offers it. There you go. See, problem solved. I've manufactured a product that does exactly that. It kind of does, right? To to the extent that these are linked. In the US, they have this thing called TIPS, Treasury Inflation Protected Security, I think they're from from memory. Um, And the idea is exactly that. They will give you a bond plus inflation. So you know exactly you're not going to get eaten by inflation by definition. And so people would look at that and go, well, why would I not? And the answer is that you know you won't. You when to your point with Telstra, Telstra's prospectus, Telstra's you know on the ASX it doesn't say Telstra, Telco, and protection against inflation. Hmm. So no one's going to go. Oh, that's what I should do. Hmm. And so I get it, right? And if Raj is, I, I would rather Raj buy this. I can't give, tell Raj what you should do, by the way, Raj. I can't give you personal advice. But I'd rather people buy if they wanted to, if they specifically wanted to. I'd rather them be in a, in a inflation-linked bond than in. Cash in the bank, where you're not going to beat in inflation. If you're getting a quarter of a percent in the bank and inflation is two percent, then I'd rather you have a, a you know, inflation protected security. As long as you can buy and sell at face value, you're not going to get eaten by inflation. And that if that's the only, if it's cash or that, take that. Yep. But as you rightly say, Ram, that there are many more options than just, you know, do, do I do I buy do I see, see in cash or do I buy inflation linked bonds. Do I want a ten
1: percent total return in a really no. high quality investment in a inflationary <laughs> environment that's growing at four that's or five funny. percent? Which is really oh, yeah. really scary inflationary environment. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah. do I want a product that's going to make sure that I, I match inflation? <laughs> exactly. Now, exactly. on one hand I'm getting a five yep. percent gross return, zero yep. percent yep. net. The other one I'm getting a ten percent <laughs> gross return,
0: five percent net. Like what's better, yes, right? Exactly, exactly. No, I completely agree with you. I um I think I think that's important. All right, mate, um, we'll go on to, to the next question. Uh, and the next question is from Sam. And, mate, Sam's ask a really great question. So he says, uh, hello, I have a couple of questions for the esteemed hosts of the podcast. When I say a great question, I'm really mean He's just really nice to us, which is nice. positive. Sam, well done. <laughs> it's going to get your question answered, mate. And welcome back. And, oh, God, wait. Why do they want to talk about you all the time, mate? I don't know. I guess they feel like you should be kind or something. And welcome back, Andrew, he says. I'm really enjoying the perspectives that you both, or both you and Scott, bring to the table. All right, here's his question, mate. First one. This, I like this too. If doubts arise about the governance of a company, specifically doubts about whether the management had the shareholder's best interests at heart, will you automatically exclude the company as a potential investment or will you still consider it investable but with a higher degree of risk. What a great I question. I like that. is Isn't it so, because yeah. I think, you know, he's, high, he's not saying, look, it doesn't matter. What he's saying is, well, okay, we know it's a problem. But like, you know, we talked about risk again on Friday. He said, look, there's a risk here, it's a known risk. Mm. Is is it is it just one of those like binary outcomes? Yes, no. Or is it a, all right, well, I mean, you know, it's not great, but the business still got something there. Maybe I want a higher return. Maybe it's a smaller percentage. Maybe, maybe I take some other approach, but what would you do, mate? Would you take it out and do this like, you know what, just absolute hard no? Or is it a case of, okay, well, I need to factor it in and it's probably a bigger concern, but I won't exclude it automatically?
1: My, my thinking has really evolved and changed over the years um, mm-hmm. on this. Um, I'm, I'm at the point now where there's, there's two parts to it. There is, are they do I legitimately think there's something dodgy going on or have they done something <laughs> that could be interpreted in a dodgy way? And okay. it's worth digging into that a little bit because I think That's I think one yeah, of the yeah. things that investors overreact to is when directors and management sell shares. Yeah, right. Now, uh, and a lot of th- yes. There's, there's, yes. There's, it's never what you <laughs> want to see, right? We mm-hmm. we love having alignment of interest, and so if the CEO mm-hmm. has a bunch of shares in the company, you know that you know they're at least trying <laughs> much more than they would otherwise, right? Because their money's on yeah. the line. Having said that, there are a lot of situations where, especially with these founder-run companies, where they've put their heart and soul in it for 20 years. Literally 99% of their wealth is in this one company. And they sell five percent of their holdings because you know what they—they they actually want <laughs> to, they, they might want to buy a house or go on a hole or whatever. It's like, I don't mm, see that mm, as like this mm, big, yes. you know, this this <laughs> negative. Where and I see it on Twitter a lot. Go, oh, they—they have lost faith and they're dumping shares and there's bad news coming up. It's like, dude, I would do exactly the same thing. You know, after a point, it's like, well, at what point? How much work? And sacrifice do I need to put into my company before I'm allowed to enjoy some of the fruits of of, of my labors? <laughs> yeah, that's right. You yeah. know, um, at the other end of the spectrum, you've got someone who's consistently just selling down all of their shares. Um, well, that's mm. a very different thing. Yeah. So there's shades of grey in in all of this kind of stuff. Mm. Um, so that's one example. But but when if for whatever reason there could be a bunch of circumstances mm, that lead to it. Mm, but if I mm, do mm. end up with the perspective that the CEO or the board is not. <laughs> does not have my best interests in heart I yeah, will sell yeah, decisively yeah. and get the hell out um, mm. we talked about Crown a lot I don't trust that board yes. I, again I'm not going to name individuals because I don't want to get sued but I mean really? they, I, I just think they're on the record hypothetically allegedly. well they just I mean there's just a public record there of what they you know <laughs> yeah, they yeah. I don't yeah. I, I don't want I don't want to be associated with those those kinds mm-hmm. of people um and and for me that's that's a hard no because at the end of the day no matter how advanced you want to get businesses Mm. companies are just collections of people and if Mm. you've got a toxic culture amp is another classic example you couldn't pay me to buy shit i didn't care if they're (laughs) all point one of a cent i wouldn't buy the damn thing (laughs) you wouldn't buy them with my money i I wouldn't buy them with your money (laughs) mate um so yeah to answer your question so it's a two-part answer one is Make don't don't jump at shadows because there's there's everyone's fighting their own battles and have their own unique yeah, situation. Yeah. So just because someone does something doesn't mean they're automatically a crook. Okay, <laughs> yeah, that's right. but if you have reached the the, the that conclusion, then I, yeah, I would I would I would sell decisively. Your money's too precious to risk to someone
0: who's who's not who's not thinking about you. Yep, yep, I like that. I I think I agree, mate. I think um, I'm trying I'm trying to I'm trying to kind of work out the, the nuanced answer to this, but I've got to say, and as you rightly point out, I think that's the other thing. I, I actually completely agree with your first point, which is make sure that your conclusion is valid. So do they genuinely not have your interest at heart or are they selling some shares? Mm. Do they genuinely have your interest at heart or are they just going to be wrong from time to time? I think you know, there's really big differences. Yeah. Like I'm a, I, <laughs> so Jerry Harvey is a man who you don't like and that's fine. Uh, I don't mind him as much. I've got to say that whatever else you think about Jerry Harvey... Most of his money is in Harvey Norman and he's not gonna waste that money for the sake of just being bombastic for his own sake. Right. He might be wrong he might be wrong badly, but he's not you know, I think it's I think it's a big stretch to say he's not acting in the interest of shareholders. So in that case, yep. you know, that's a very different case to the guy who you know, I, I for example, would far prefer a Jerry Harvey than someone who spins like hell when it comes to sharing information with the pub with, with shareholders, right? Yep. Um, and, and you know, candor is a really, really big one for me. So I would, you know, so I famously remember back in the day, um, there's a business that I won't mention because I don't want to get myself in super of trouble. It was it was in the uh, it was in the vitamins business, mate, which you will like. <laughs> it's no longer listed, as far as I know. And they led the, they led the press release with gross profit up X percent, and I was like, so if gross profits what their are not not sales, not profits. That they were headlining gross profit. They're telling you everything you need to know, which is the other numbers must really really suck, <laughs> and they did. Yes. And yet they you know so they they led with one number because they tried to spin as hard as they possibly could. And I would, I'm not, again, I'm not even saying that companies that spin don't have shareholder interests at heart because they all do it these days. They're all sucked into the same bloody ridiculous palaver that everyone else does. Um, so you know it's not it's not an, it's not an either or. But I got to say you know so best interest, It's really it's, honestly it's really hard to work out. Mm. Like it's really genuinely hard to know for sure. The answer to that question. So, but if I if I got to a point where I was like, you know what, I don't trust management, which I guess is what it comes down to, then I'm not going to invest in that company no matter what. Uh, Buffett's got a great line, uh, which is you want something like is, is it it's um, uh, intelligence, uh, hard work, and integrity. Mm. And he said, the most important is integrity because if, you, if they don't have integrity, the other two. Will yes,
1: yeah, I <laughs> love that. If they smart and work yeah. hard, but
0: they, but they haven't got integrity, you are screwed. And so for me, I think that's probably a, a, a decent way to, to start off the, that, that journey. Totally. Mate, second question, in a previous life, he says, I used to do some stock picking, among others. Thank you, Motley Fool. But with my family expanding rapidly, a more rewarding side hustle and non-financial career, I found myself lacking the time to do proper research. He says, which I did enjoy, but I consequently started migrating my investments to passive ETFs. The strategy is quite dull, he says, but does seem to work. In your opinion, is there any alternative strategy with a chance of success when you're only half-heartedly able to carry out your own research of individual companies, say two hours a week max? Grateful, Sam. Mm. I love this question, mate, because this is, this, is this is the real nub of it, right? You and I do this as a day job. Uh, I get paid to do it. You're hopefully going to make a fortune on your business doing exactly the same thing, um, at the end of the day, we do this as a quid because we love it, but also because it's our day job. I can imagine if it had a different day job, I would spend a lot less time researching stocks, right? And I can absolutely imagine being in Sam's scenario where he's like, okay, I've got a couple of hours a week. Mm. I, by definition, because of that, I've kind of gone, you know, I don't want to be out of the market and I don't want to let my portfolio just drift. I want to make sure I'm investing well. So I'm going to go ETFs, which I love. I think that, Sam, I think that's a really, really, really super smart way to do it. You've, you've hit on it. But he's kind of saying, okay, well- with those two hours, is there is there a halfway house between picking individual stocks and trying to beat the market and being entirely passive? Is there somewhere in between those two, to your mind, Andrew, for for no more than two hours a week? I
1: think so. Um, I think the great thing about investing or or researching businesses is that that knowledge compounds. So you don't have to go from, you don't have to start from scratch every single time. So I've got companies in my portfolio I've held for years and years and years and years. And so, mm. when they come out with a new announcement, actually, there's a lot of work I don't need to do. I've already done it. I understand <laughs> yeah, the right. business intimately well.
0: Yes, that's a good point. And I that's read an plan.
1: announcement. It will. I can, I can. I can put that in my mental framework very, very quickly. I don't. I don't mm. need to spend mm. ten hours because. Whereas, if I look at a company I've never seen before, I'm really starting from mm. from the beginning. Mm. So, if you're in a situation where you've built up. A bit of a dossier of companies that you like and that you enjoy following and then i think absolutely two hours a week is tons tons because it actually the 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 practically the difficult part of it is is that there's actually weeks and weeks where there's no news so you don't have to do anything and then reporting season comes and then all of your companies (laughs) report at once that's what's made that's what makes it hard but i think i think on average yeah i think (laughs) i think it's actually tons of time um, if, you're, yeah. if you've decided that if you, if you don't have any sort of, if you don't have, <laughs> if you haven't built up that knowledge base, then that's a different yeah. proposition that, that, that you know, two hours a week is, is going to take you a while to sort of, to, to, to build up that foundation. Um, yeah. But yeah, as I always say, that's, it's, everyone's in different situations. You're going to do extremely well just with a broad based ETF. You know, you don't have to yeah. beat the market. Even if you just get the market, you're going to be pretty happy with that. Yeah,
0: exactly. I, I actually, I, I'm not going to add much more to you, mate, because that's where my answer is find a few companies you like and you want to follow. Um, sometimes, by the way, you'll actually end up selling them because you don't like them anymore and you may not even be able to replace them immediately. Yeah. But you can do a small version of that where you find some favorite companies or a sector of interest or something of interest. And just, you know, again, re- the only thing I would say about that, mate, is I've been critical before of businesses that have resources analysts and retail analysts because yeah. if your job is in re- a retail analyst, you find the best retailer and you assume it's a buyer. Yeah. And it may not be just might you know when your when your decision set is so small, you can sometimes kind of be, you kind of miss the bigger picture and kind of a believe that you're, you know, you're okay. Um, so that anyway, that's that's my thought, but I completely agree with that. Mm-hmm. Let's move on. Um, question from Stuart. Hi, Scott and Andrew. Thanks for the show. I really enjoy each episode and get a lot out of hearing your responses to questions from everyday type people. Um, i've said before ram I, I won't speak for you mate but uh, I'm, I'm a very simple man and frankly i, I I'm, not, I'm not trying too hard to be different this is actually these are the conversations you and i would have anyway so um it, it helps if you, if you if you're trying to if you're trying to keep it simple being a simple man is a very very good start <laughs> it's it's, it's, a, it's a secret advantage i have that many people don't <laughs> that makes it easy um Stuart says i started a modest portfolio around 12 months ago after getting into your podcast awesome i have uh I currently have some relatively small holdings in 13 different stocks. All ASX and all recommendations from The Fool. Oh, oh no. As such, I believe I'm reasonably well diversified with everything from Kogan. He says drink "drink," in brackets. Thank you. Oh, he's beating you to it, mate. (laughs) To Australian ethical. My wife and I have agreed we're going to add more funds to our portfolio, about two grand a month. My question is, do we keep adding new stocks or increase the holdings of the ones we have as our holdings are all relatively small. Mm. Cheers for your thoughts and keep up the good work, Stuart. We had a similar question, I think, a couple of weeks ago, Mm. mate, on on a a very, very similar topic of, how quickly do you keep diversifying versus adding to your existing positions? So I'm gonna ask you a different question. I'm gonna, well, we'll answer Stuart's question exactly, but I'll I'll frame it slightly differently, which is, if you're starting from zero, Mm. how do you think about getting to a certain number of companies before you start adding more to others. So think about concentration versus diversification mm. early on as you start to build. Do you go you know, neck deep in each position one by one? Do you try and get to a certain number first and then add? Uh, when do you go from, you know what? It might be a better idea, but I need diversification to I'm happy to add more to the ones I already own or my highest conviction ideas. How do you, how do, you do the conviction versus diversification decision for yourself? It depends on how much money I'm starting off with. It depends
1: on my age. So, you know, mm-hmm. if I'm 22 um, and I'm just managing to save up a, a, a bit of money um, each year and then I yeah. put it all in one stock, that's highly concentrated, but I don't really care because I know over time I'm going to, I'm kind of going to get there. Yeah. Um, you know, if I was 55 and I've got a lifetime mm-hmm. of savings, maybe I've sold a house or something like that. <laughs> and I'm now yeah. thinking about, hey, geez, how do I invest $200,000? So, so that, that's yeah. important. Um, but but I think, I actually had a friend who's um, just getting into the market recently. He asked that exact question. I said, well, just, mm. just take, because he's got a bit of a lump sum. I said, well, just right. just take 80% of it and put it all into an ETF. So you're, just, you're in the market, yeah, right. right? And you're very yeah, diversified. Yeah. You got all the benefits that we always talk about. But then take that other 20% and just put that into a variety mm. of, of other things. And then as you continue yeah. to get uh, more money to invest, then I would, depending on how much you like it, and then you're enjoying the process. If you, a lot of people don't enjoy this, can you believe it? I can't. But a lot of people don't enjoy reading balance sheets and stuff,
0: and that's cool. There are people in this world who are less nerdy than us, mate. I, I, I am. I am surprised too, but apparently it's uh, true. You
1: know, I, I, I find that unusual.
0: But anyway, that's that's cool.
1: Um, if that's the kind of person you are, just just keep it simple and keep 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 doing the, the basic stuff. But if you find
0: that- you- Equally, mate, I hear there are people who are more fun at parties than you and I too. And I <laughs> so that's probably to true believe, as well. I, 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 it might be correlation there. I'm not entirely sure. I, I think it's more <laughs> research required. I, I'm pretty sure it's correlation, not causation. I don't know. I don't if,
1: know. if, however, you do catch the bug- <laughs> and you become one of these uh, pathetic individuals that just like really love all of this kind of stuff, and it becomes a passion for yep. you. Yep. Then yep. You'll, you'll you'll do it because you just love doing it. And yep, um totally. and and then I would just say to you, I, look, for me, I'm every, different strokes for different folks, but I'm the kind of person who's happy. If, if I only have ten or twelve stocks in my portfolio, I'm, I'm more than happy with that. I think I'm pretty well diversified. Some people will say twenty, some 10 people to 12, will say twelve. That's interesting.
0: Yeah, I look, look one. Let's say twelve. Any ten to twelve though, or ten to twelve specifically chosen to be no, Oh, no, no, no,
1: no, 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 oh, Well, I, I, well, it depends on the the availability set and a whole bunch of other yeah. things. But you know, I, if I if I'm sitting on, I'm probably sitting on about twelve. Look, I'm probably sitting on about twelve, but I've probably got eighty percent of it in six positions. Put it put it that right, way. Right, right. Um, this is one of the, yeah. the downsides of a few positions going insanely well <laughs> yeah. um,
0: but, but um, I, oh humble bra- hashtag humble, humble brag, brag. do you in. like how I did that oh, I've, I've made I've just made so much money. it's oh, a oh, terrible oh, problem to have and, and <laughs> just like that the market crashes the next
1: day <laughs> exactly um, <laughs> but, but it's but it, let's say let's say just keep it simple let's say you do only have 10 and you've you've got it equally distributed amongst all of them and one of them goes to zero you've still got 90% mm-hmm. of your money right like, I think you're pretty diversified. Um, but what people and I've mentioned this before but I think what people don't realise is that there is massive risks with over diversification as well yeah. so when you've got 80 stocks well yeah it's, in theory it's a lot safer but I good luck trying to stay on top of that many different <laughs> stocks you know it's a lot of work that you have to do and plus, plus the 80th stock you buy is you know the 80th best stock on the market so I would, right, I would absolutely yeah, if I feel as yeah. though I've got and I'm very very fussy and I feel as though I've got like the 10 or 12 best companies mm. that are out mm. there and I've got a bit mm. more money well, it's kind of like, why would I not put it... If, if, if they continue to be the best opportunities, I'll, I'll put
0: the, I'll put more money there. I think that's... And this is where diversification has really been turned on its head because of ETS, mm. to your point, mm. right? So the academic literature says 20 to 25, some say up to 30 stocks to be fully diversified. Where that's misused by most people, and I've probably been guilty of not being clear enough about it in the past, hopefully not on this podcast, but certainly elsewhere, is that's 30 stocks chosen at complete random. That's not any 30 stocks. You can't Mm. buy 10 miners, 5 banks, 5 insurance companies, and then say I'm diversified just because I've got 20 companies. It just doesn't work that way. So 20 at random (laughs) is diversification. But if you're buying stocks at random, then you might as well buy the ETF and be done with it. So when you really break that back, I think you, you made the point about starting with an ETF and then adding some. I think that honestly I, I kind of feel like I'm more in that camp than I used to be these mm. days particularly when you're getting started the number of stocks is far far less important if you have an ETF because you're kind of covering diversification with one with one purchase where you meaningfully change you meaningfully take out now it can't be one out of 13 because you're only 8% diversified in that ETF but if it's a reasonable chunk to start with it's a really really great way to make it work mm. um, and I think that's that's where I'd kind of start that, that, that answer to that question um, I think for me, I uh, the question would be: Are we um, are, are we really looking at those thirteen? How diversified are they? Mm. As to where you should add more. If you look at those thirteen and you realize that actually half of them are retailers, I, I don't think I could honestly say, yeah, add more to your best ideas. That's a great idea because mm. I, I I would argue that probably there's not enough diversification there. So I think I probably it probably it depends. Unfortunately, is often the answer. As we said before, mm. I think it depends here as well. Um, mate, I've probably got 25 stocks, I think, between my ASX and US um, companies. Um, not for academic reasons, just because that's where I got to. Um, and I've largely done that by trying to find my best ideas. But yeah, to some degree I have absolutely avoided adding more to some companies. I've, I, I own a, a, a Online commerce business you may have heard of. Um, I also own. She has a corporate travel management. They're big positions for me, and sometimes they've been my best ideas. And I just haven't been able to bring myself to add to a positions that were already more than ten percent of my portfolio because I felt like it was reckless. And so in some cases I've added to different companies. Overall, I think uh, it always it always differs, right? So let me give a blanket answer as a, as a starting point, and then let people make their own adjustments. I would say get to fifteen, and then add by conviction after that. If I, if I was going to put a, a reasonably blanket view just just a starting point out if it's 10 for you if it's 20 for you then knock yourself out um, but I would probably say get yourself to, to 12 15, particularly if you're only getting started investing because you know I've been around the block a few times mate we're pretty immune to volatility um, if you're getting started investing you've got 8 stocks and 2 of those fall 25% many people are going to say well I'm way too scared this is not working for me I'm out. Mm. right so for, for the average person who's not as, as as smart clever funny handsome <laughs> as you and i uh, <laughs> then uh, the uh, yeah that i think i think that's what i think that's probably what i that's, what that's probably what I go yep. with. value stocks. Market. market stock market index share market this is motley full money subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple m. Let's move on to a question from Brian, mate. I've got a question for the podcast. Says Brian. He says, "I understand you cannot give individual advice. Someone, you think I'd probably said that once or twice." He started investing in August last year. He said, "And I'm hooked. Fantastic. I follow your Share Advisor and Extreme Opportunity Services, and love the forum on ShareAdvisor Advisor as well as the podcast. Thank you, Brian. My question is: Given the outrageous house prices, he's been listening to you. Mm-hmm. Given the outrageous house prices at the moment, there must be a lot of people in the same boat as me." with a lot of equity in their properties. What are your thoughts on using the equity in your property to invest in an S&P 500 ETF? For example, why would you not, for numbers sake, borrow 100 grand and buy the S&P 500 ETF? Assuming you get a return of 10% a year, he says return 17% in the last 10 years, and the interest rates stay at 2.5%. My view is with the interest rates as they are at the moment, I'm ahead by around 7.5%, assuming the future return is 10. So he's taking his 10% return, 2.5% for interest rates. He's saying, hang on, I borrowed 25 I get 10 back, I'm ahead by 75 I personally invest about 1000 bucks a month, he said, and have a 20-year time frame. The 1000 bucks a month I currently invest means I can handle interest rates if they increase to 10%, which I believe will not happen. In other words, he's got the cash to, to, to make good on the loan if it all goes pear-shaped. Mm. Am I missing something or is this a no-brainer? Given the 20-year time frame I have, I can handle the volatility and ride out a crash or two. I will be asking my financial advisor this question, but I thought you may like to share your thoughts. And that's from Brian. I don't know if that last question is daring us or just making sure that we know that uh, we're being held to account with it. <laughs> <When> somebody who's <laughs> going to actually pay money for an answer for. I'm not sure. But I, Brian, here's, so here's the thing. Do me a favour, Brian. We're going to give you an answer, or probably two answers. Uh, would you let us know by return email, mate, uh, whether... Your financial advisor gave you the same advice. I'd just be curious to know what, uh, what else you were, you were advised. Andrew, uh, we can't tell Brian what to do, as Brian rightly already has said. He knows, generally speaking, borrowing at two and a half, getting 10. Man, talk about a carry trade. I mean, you'd do that every day, wouldn't you? Or would you? Uh, I, I would. I don't think
1: that there's anything particularly wrong with it, but the, the caveats here are important. So there's the type of loan um, uh, instrument that you have. I would say mm. no against a margin loan or something else like that, where you can be called on and for- be a forced seller in the event of a market mm, downturn. Mm, mm. The nice thing about doing it against your house is that you're you, you're less likely to be in that scenario. So that when, yeah. when, not if, when the market next gets its knickers in a knot, um, you'll you'll be able to ride that out. Um, and it's also another important consideration in in Brian's case that he's um, continuing to to earn and save money as well. So in those tough times, he can actually use that money instead of to invest but to reduce his his leverage and mm-hmm. to reduce mm-hmm. his loan. Mm-hmm. Um I also think too, it depends on the amount of equity it, like he's yeah. talking about borrowing a hundred thousand well if you've only got a hundred thousand dollars of equity in your home, that's probably yeah, pretty right. risky. if you've got yeah, a yeah. you know twenty million dollar property in <laughs> You know, somewhere then then that's very conservative. Luzle, Belgium, yeah, 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 yeah.
0: New yeah. farm yeah. or something.
1: Um you that, that that that's okay. So I so I think mm. like de- mm. de- debt is a debt is a four letter word and debt is the only mm. way that, you know, a smart man can go broke, as Buffett is, is, right. is wont to say. So I think you need to yeah. be very careful with it. But it is a broad spectrum here, so I think if you're conservative, if you've got the right kind of vehicle, if the level of leverage that you're using is very low, if you've got, mm. Uh, mm. if you've accounted for the worst case scenario where you can sort of uh, help reduce that leverage over time, and you're confident in your income coming through, I, I don't think it's actually a terrible idea at all. Um, a lot of ifs, dude. <laughs> but, well, that's there are a lot of ifs, but but yeah. but that's I think as I've always said, I think you think about the downside first. And if you're comfortable yeah. with that, then it sort of helps – it helps with it all. But um, look, look, of all the things that, that people propose, um, um, mm,
0: mm.
1: that is that is far from the silliest thing I've ever heard. I I, I I can't attack it straight away. I think it's actually pretty sensible. I know you'll
0: disagree. I, no, <laughs> no, no, no. I So, here's the problem, mate. This is my my regular answer to this one is – and I'll use the same example I use every time because, hey, why not um, – what worries me is the discipline that goes with it, right? So we are we are answering a rational question with a rational answer, assuming rational behaviour. And I'm absolutely sure Brian is the most rational listener we have. But there are other people who are in the same situation as Brian who may not necessarily be able to be as rational or Brian might be surprised by about bout of rationality at some future point. And what always worries me about debt is firstly the margin call that you kind of alluded to without mentioning it, which is, you know, at least this is... This is Linked to housing rather than rather than stocks that can be margin called away from him and therefore locking in his loss. But Brian would be far from the first person to lose fifty percent in the next market crash, sell out because he didn't want to lose any more and crystallise the loss. Mm. For example, in a way that you know if you're already borrowing it, you, you crystallise the loss and you're locking in the loan repayments forever after that. Mm. And so you can actually end up with less equity than you started with because you're borrowed to try and get more. And if you're getting a ten percent return but you're risking selling out with a twenty, thirty, forty, fifty percent loss you actually magnify those losses in a way that you really never intended to, didn't think you would, thought you'd handle it differently, all that stuff that goes with it because someone just freaks you out. You worry about inflation or gold or market crashes or aliens or something else. And all of a sudden you kind of go, oh man, I didn't think I was that person, but it turns out I was. Mm. And versus not (laughs) doing that at all, Again, you talk about the downside, mate. The downside for me is not just the downside of the mathematical downside, but the behavioral downside yeah. and that. The example I always use is 90% of us say we're above average drivers, right? So this is one of those tough love ones, not necessarily for Brian directly, but everyone listening says, I'm, yeah, I'm better than average. You can't all be, right? Yeah. You and I can't all be, Andrew. Yeah. Um, you know, and similarly with, with using debt well, we all think we're going to do it. And yes, we understand other people might screw it up, but I won't because I'm different. Well, guess what? <laughs> More of us think we're different than we actually are. Um, and that, that's my biggest concern, Brian. So mathematically, I think you're right. A couple of things to, to think about for what it's worth. Um, you are the, the gain is taxable. So the 7% gain you're making is taxable compared to the tax-free paying off the mortgage. So to some degree, you know, putting the extra $1,000 on your mortgage to pay it off quicker rather than investing it, it's only 2.5% you're going to save because you put an extra $1,000 in your mortgage, you save 2.5% instead of making 10. But that 10 is probably closer to 7 after tax. And so the gap is still big, but it's not two and a half versus ten because you're looking at a tax-free benefit versus a um, versus taxable benefit. So just 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 make sure you include that when you're doing your maths because it does it does narrow that gap slightly. I think It's worthwhile. Um, but broadly, mate, I like you, Andrew. I completely agree. If I could, if I could be given a non-margin called opportunity to take my entire future investing career, every dollar I'm going to invest from now till I retire, and invest it today at two and a half percent, I would do it in a heartbeat. Yeah. I would take every dollar and, – and the market might crash 40% tomorrow. I, I still wouldn't care. I'd still do it. Mm. If you let me say I'll give you a 2.5% cost of capital, you can borrow the entire amount with no margin calls, and I'm going to hopefully save and invest for the next 25 years. If I could take 25 years' worth of savings and put it all in the market now in an ETF without a margin call at 2.5% cost, I would do it tomorrow. I'd do it yesterday. I, I would I would run to the bank from here and do it. Mm. If they, if they let me do it. Because the, the returns to Brian's point, I expect will be much, much larger than the cost of debt. So I absolutely get the rational Brian's view. I completely agree with you. I just want to make sure that our listeners, including Brian, don't get carried away with the what could go wrong. And the answer, unfortunately, a lot of the time is what could go wrong is actually uh, that you could go wrong. And we don't want to think we're, we're that person but you would be far from the first. I've said before, mate, long-term capital management, uh, famed asset management firm, 12 Nobel laureates, went completely stone motherless broke. These are the smartest people in the in the world, all in one room, all with one, gu- one, one goal, which is to beat the market. And they didn't just fail to beat the market. They literally blew the entire company up. And so that's just a reminder that no matter how smart you think you are, me, me included, you included, um, no matter how smart we think we are, the chance we can do something stupid is still ever present Sure, yeah. All right. Uh, next question might be the last one. I think, mate. We're, we're kind of uh, so. It's so a quick, quick look behind the curtain. I'm getting my first Pfizer vaccination in about half an hour's time. So that's kind of that's kind of cool. Um, and so, you know, that's not our listeners' fault. But so uh, this podcast will be a little bit shorter because I have to go mm-hmm. and, and go and do that. If you're not vaccinated, I'm not a medical expert, but listen to those who are. Please get vaccinated. It's the best way we can get out of this bloody. COVID Aren't you worried coma. about the uh, the chip from Bill Gates, mate? Like, oh, mate, oh, the, mate, my five G reception is going to be awesome. Oh, be I can't great. wait. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Oh, I can't wait, mate. My reception is going to be unreal. Uh, Yeah, no, the chip. I'm happy with the chip. As as I've always said, mate, that's why I'm a Google customer because when the board comes to assimilators, I'm going to go early. I don't (laughs) want to be the last resistance fighter. I'm happy to be the first one taken. Um, So (laughs) it's going to happen anyway. I must be the first one. No, that's, uh, yeah. Um, I'm no medical expert. You should not listen to me or anyone else when it comes to medical advice, except for the experts. And I'm just going to parrot them. Get vaccinated. For God's sake, I'm going to go and do that. Um, So let's finish off with a question from... Now, I'm not going to say this is our fav- my favorite listener. It is possibly the listener with uh, my favorite ever name. Now, I'm not. I'm going to assume, and, and uh, I'll, I'll share the name at the end. He does say in brackets, may or may not be my real name. And for those of you who are of a certain age and who've listened to a certain comedy album, you may recognize it. He says, G'day fools. I'm an EO, that's Extreme Opportunities, stock advisor and share advisor subscriber with 35 of your Australian and US recommendations in my portfolio. Nice one. Now, I'm... <laughs> Desperately hoping at this point, Andrew, the rest of the question is good because otherwise it could make me look really bad. Uh, he says, my first purchase was the Lake House Global Growth Fund to ensure diversification. However, given I now have 30 plus stocks and given Joe Magris from the Motley Fool family, is there any value in owning a fund with the same investment philosophy as the rest of my portfolio? I'm considering swapping out the Lake House Global Growth Fund for something different. Maybe the Asia ETF or a value-style ETF or fund, or using that capital on future Motley Fool recommendations. Capital gains tax is not a huge concern, he says, as this was purchased within Super. The Motley Fool US released an April Fool's portfolio and actually allocated a portion of the capital to a value ETF as the investment style was counter to the Motley Fool style. I would welcome your thoughts, full on, from Rick Disneck, which if you're a uh, 12th Man fan, you'll recognise... As the uh, unfortunate uh, vaulting horse uh, participant who didn't quite make it across the vaulting horse, resulted
1: in some minor and, uh, bruising to his
0: body, I believe. Uh, some minor bruising to my body. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> great, a al- great album, first uh, great, great album. So, you, 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 if you, if you, I hope you got a chuckle out of that, Rick. Thank you for. Well, he said, probably not, Rick. Rick, thank you for uh, for, for sharing uh, your question. Thank you for sharing your your name. And uh, Rick Disneck, Yes, it's uh, it's one of the one of the one of the great. Comedy names of, of the last 20 or 30 years, or maybe 40 if I'm not age myself too much. Uh, anyway, let's not go to the years. Rick, good, good question. Um, I'm going to do a quick summary and disclaimer, Andrew, and then I'm going to ask you for your thoughts and I'll add mine. So, Lakehouse uh, is a motley full company, Lakehouse Capital. They're our fund manager who we, we give investment advice to retail investors who are do it yourself investors who want some help. A fund, a managed fund, does it for you. Joe Mega is a fantastic bloke. I mentioned him alongside Steve Johnson and others in terms of people I trust to manage money. Um, I, we need to be careful at the Motley Fool. Actually, we chose to be careful is a better way to put it. Um, we have a Chinese war between the two businesses. I know, know a thing about the stocks Joe is buying and selling other than what I'm told publicly, um, nor does he know anything about the newsletter business. We keep them at arm's length to make sure our investors and our members can have full confidence that they are not being treated as second-class citizens in either way. Uh, and so, as a result, we don't do a lot of cross promotion. We don't do a lot of discussion. In fact, last time I spoke to Joe, I want to say it was about twelve months ago. Um, I am going to catch up with him um, in, a, in a week's time or so. But we can't. We can't. So we sorry, choose not to talk about stocks just to make sure that everyone knows there is an absolutely impenetrable wall between those two businesses. So I will share that. Um, I probably will will take, hedge my answer when I come to give you an answer because it's just a, it's just a it's a it's a challenging thing for me to try and do and remain but more importantly to, to be seen to remain completely unbiased in my answer so um, I will ask Andrew and Andrew is also uh, uh, you know, on your behalf mate I will say um, you, you may or may not feel a bit uh, funny about doing it in the context of that same conversation um, so feel free to answer as you need to but I want to just throw that in uh, up front so that the, the rest of the answer is couched with that go for it Andrew
1: well um, I I know you and Joe really well and yeah I think we're all we're all part of the same church if I can use that uh, analogy yep. uh, when it comes to approach the market, but but
0: you and Joe are very different in your approaches yes, to the market. That's true. You've both increasingly different. Joe's changed a lot. Joe is a deep value guy yeah. who's gone into small cap growth, which is a remarkable, a super flexible. Like that, that is a really good sign. I think of an investor. Some of them, by the way, do it because they're dragged into it because they feel like that they got to keep up with the Joneses. Yep. Joe's flexibility of mind is really impressive.
1: Well, it's, it's, here's the thing is that both of you have outperformed the market, right? So it's not, it's not a question of saying which one's better. They're just different. Um, (laughs) And, and, um, I don't have a dog in the fight. Um, and i don't have any money with with lakehouse <laughs> which i did mm. because it's gone
0: really well yeah, well <laughs> um,
1: but yeah. i would and and again um, i'm just i'm just mindful cuz it sounds like i'm sort of spooking on your behalf but honestly mm. i i would be reluctant to take my money out of joe's hands joe's, joe just lives and breathes stocks like he is <laughs> he does. you know there's a lot of i really
0: no. i've got a lot but you think we you think we are nerds our listeners have no idea how much of a nerd uh, joe is joe is just next level oh, stock nerd and i mean it stock in the nerd. in the most highly complimentary yeah, over, way yeah.
1: right so yeah. i i actually usually have pretty bad things to say about fund managers but but joe joe is uh, yeah I, I think very carefully about taking your money yep. away from from what he is doing and and if, if the results to date give you any kind of sign i think that's probably worth worth sticking when you're on a good thing stick with it the good thing about joe too is that he doesn't and i think part this comes out in the results is that like a lot of fundies he's not trying to sort of Outperform the market over any year. He's genuinely mm-hmm. him and Donnie and and the whole team there yeah. are making investments yeah. with you know ten year time horizons, and they're going on they're going on big yeah. structural economic shifts. So I, I I actually I their approach resonates with me a lot. I'm try that's how I try mm-hmm. to invest mm-hmm. as well. Um, so yeah yeah, yeah. I, I, it sounds horribly conflicted and biased, and maybe mm-hmm. to some degree it is because they because they're mates. Yeah. But yeah. that's that's my two cents. Do both. Yeah, well, do both. I'd- yeah.
0: <laughs> I actually made the point about you know knowing the knowing the jeweler without actually having realized I was going to ask this question. So now I almost feel a bit guilty. Like I, I feel like I've kind of set up the answer or, or kind of asked the question. And, and you know, with this in mind, I, I promise you. I- you know what? Can I can I say it would have been very reasonable for any of you, any listener, to kind of go? Of course, you knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. You can you can you can reassure them. Andrew, I do, I do very little preparation for this q and A back, so I hadn't I hadn't actually scanned the. Uh, maybe I'd seen it. Maybe there's some somewhere in my um, my subconscious brain. I knew it was coming. I'm not sure, but I honestly didn't remember. Um, okay, so yeah, look, I so as, as with you, mate, I I'm not saying you shouldn't invest in any other fund managers, but for me personally, if I was going to put my money with a fund manager, it would be Joe or Steve Johnson and probably no others in the sense that having amassed a decent amount of money not not a lot but you know like what I mean is having worked hard for the money I've got and having saved and invested it if you're going to give it to someone say please invest on my behalf like that's a big trust thing mm. right and as you say Joe is a great guy takes this thing super seriously um, always has both from a stock picking from a compliance perspective Steve Johnson one of the one of the smarter and, and more I say noble I don't mean that to sound overly wanky but you know um, one, one of the one of the better people out mm. there so Um, I would happily invest with Joe. Uh, I didn't when Lake House was launched for one major reason, which was that I felt like as a person who picks stocks for a living, um, I I owed it to my members, our members, to buy stocks. I think everything except one stock in my portfolio is a current multiple recommendation. Uh, And so I wanted to eat my own cooking. To to say to people, hey, buy this stock, then I invest my money in Lake House would have been, to me, um, morally disingenuous uh, or perhaps yeah, a, yeah. I just, I just, and look I, I wouldn't blame if, if our we have staff who've done it by the way because they like Joe and they want to invest you know, I think that's great so I'm not saying other people should do it this way I just took a view personally to say I I, I didn't feel like it was a, a, a defensible position so I chose not to mm-hmm. uh, not, not do anything with do it like us. and as you said Andrew like, Joe's done really really well it wouldn't be the first time I looked at it and gone oh, I could have put some money with him would have been good so there's that um I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to, to Rick Disneck. I'm going to use his full name because it just amuses me. Uh, I'm going to talk to Rick next question uh, around not just is how it's worth investing in or, or how does it fit, but he kind of he's not really saying, should I buy the fund or should I invest in stocks? He's really saying, if it's all the same anyway, does it make sense to invest in a fund and invest myself using the same philosophy? A um, couple of things. First is, the answer might be yes if that gave you diversification. If Joe's wrong and I'm right, or if Joe's right and I'm wrong, I wanna say I, I guess I'm in the newsletter business because not just my picks. Um, some of them, as, as Rick says, are the US stocks, right? Which I don't have any involvement in picking. Uh, sorry, for US services, I have US stocks in my my service, but he's, he's uh, subscribed to a US service. Um, there is no harm in diversification. So if you've got some, you know, the style might be the same, but the stocks picked might be different. Uh, I dare say that if you've got four fund managers who also, they were global growth fund managers, they'd have different stocks in their portfolio. and so you know, a style is not necessarily, you don't necessarily need a different, um, the same fund manager. You do things differently and that makes a whole lot of sense. So that'd be my first thing. There are reasons why you might do both. Uh, Second thought is, I, (laughs) great thing about being the Motley four is we are Motley, right? I don't have that. We don't have a house view. I'm not a big fan of diversifying styles or asset classes just because you want to be diversified. So, you know, so the example the easiest example is I own shares. I don't have much cash. If I were to be more diversified and have less volatility in my portfolio, I could hold more cash. If I held twenty-five percent cash, the falls would hurt much less when the market crashed. Right? The problem is when the market goes up, I'd get a lot less. And over time, if you look over thirty years, anything in cash has simply just lowered your average return over time. So the the cost of diversification in this case is really seriously meaningful. And I might have had I might have slept better. I might have had less volatile returns, but it had lower returns overall. And that's the trade-off for every investor is every any time you say, I want to hold gold or cash or bonds or property to have less volatility, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But if you're adding lower return asset classes, then you are lowering your average return. You, there's no escape. There's literally no, it's mathematical. There's no escape from that. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't add personally a value ETF or a value fund just for the sake of owning value. Because if you think growth is going to outperform value over 20 years, then holding value is not helping you. Now, I, again, Steve Johnson is a value manager, so I'm not saying don't buy value. I'm just saying don't do it for the purpose of, of being different because different doesn't, doesn't make you money. Different only helps if you're wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or if you need, and some people do or want, that volatility protection. Some people just don't want to see 38% falls. When the market falls 38% last year, my portfolio fell something similar. If I had more cash or property or something, I would have fallen by a lot less and that would have hurt less at the time, but I would have had much less of a a bounce back and I would have had lower overall returns. If you want that volatility protection, then knock yourself out. By all means do that. Find other non-correlated assets. But I don't want volatility protection at the expense of long-term returns. I will happily have those, you know, stomach churning days, weeks, months for the return of more money when I finish working and when I retire. Mm. So I wouldn't do it for the sake of it. To your question then about is do you buy an Azure ETF for example or using capital on future recommendations? I think that's I think that's an open open question. I wouldn't hold capital out to use on future recommendations. By the way, we've talked about this before. The longer you hold cash, the lower your returns are likely to be mathematically because the market goes up more than it goes down and it goes up over time rather than down. So the longer you wait, the better the chance the opportunity cost eats your capital away or at least eats your potential returns away. So I wouldn't sell something to hold for future recommendations. I think the question you really need to ask yourself is, what do I feel more confident with? Do I feel better having some of my money in a fund manager who's going to invest it separately to me? If I make mistakes, that won't cost me money. If he makes mistakes, it will cost me money, but at least I'm diversified. Or do I want to do it myself and try and get better returns? Joe's returns have been spectacular. I won't push the, the fund any more than that because it's probably not appropriate. Um, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't be, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be arrogant enough to think I'm going to beat Joe. Uh, Joe wouldn't be arrogant if to think he's going to beat me. We're both going to try and do the best we can and one of us is going to win eventually. Um, I think Joe's probably ahead. I think it's probably fair to say since they started Lakehouse. I think he's probably beaten my returns. Um, and and that's and that's great. So I I think if you're happy with the investments you have, I wouldn't rush to change them for the sake of it. And I don't think you need to overthink it. Um, if, you, if you find yourself saying, oh, gee, I really want to buy shares in Company X, but I haven't got any money. And you think, well, I can take some money out of Lakehouse because I think this is a better opportunity, then go for it. If you can't find any great ideas to buy individually, but you got some extra money and you want to say, well, Joe's probably got his finger on the puzzle, I'll invest with him, then go for that too. So I'm, I'm absolutely hedging, not not for any internal reasons, not to be polite or kind to Joe or myself. I just, I don't, I don't see a strong rationale to do either or. Um, I, I, if it was a different fund manager, if you're underperforming in an underperforming fund for 10 years who, whose manager you didn't like, trust, know or believe in, I'd have a very, very different answer. But if you're comfortable with the investment returns you're getting from both areas, I see no massive reason to change quite honestly made anything to add to that to kind of flesh that out that was very comprehensive no (laughs) (laughs) that that means thank god you (laughs) finished talking
1: right no we covered it we covered it
0: (laughs) nice All right, here we go mate one last question from Hayden hi team I commenced investing just after the COVID crash as it looked like the best time to start and I've been investing ever since thanks to the Motley Fool you gave me the confidence to get involved and continue to invest so thank you (coughs) <coughs> Excuse me. So I have a subscription to several of your portfolios and have acquired all of the recommendations which are covered in each. I have a couple of questions, with the first one being off the back of one of your most recent podcasts. You talk about portfolio size and diversity and that you can be too diverse. I wanted to clarify on this point as I've been filling your various portfolio recommendations, which leaves me with around 60 different companies. <coughs> I'm now worried I have too many companies, even though I have allocated my capital according to Motley Fool's recommendations. Is this the case or have I misunderstood? If it is, what method would you apply to rectify the situation, if anything at all? That's the first question, mate. I'll go first go up this one, and then I'll throw it to you. Um, I think being diversified for the sake of being diversified is too diversified. So, if you're owning 60 companies, your 60th best idea is probably um, not great. So, if you're adding if you're adding if you're adding money individually, company by company by company, and you're buying 60 to be diversified to have a 60th company, then you're too diversified. I think. In the flip side, the portfolios you talk about, you mentioned the company, the the service. I'll mention them just because it probably puts some context. I wasn't going to do it because I didn't want to over egg it. 5G, Discovery and Shooting Stars are the three portfolios that he's, he's invested in. Those portfolios themselves are designed as basket portfolios, which is we buy 20 stocks in each of those with the express purpose of make sure we buy all 20 so that if we're right about the average, we get the individual companies wrong, we're kind of covering the results. So I've said to people before, if you subscribe to um, Discovery, for example, one of our one of our services, please don't just pick one or two or three you like, because we don't have the level of confidence. We're not just releasing three stocks. We're releasing 20 saying if we're right on average, we expect to do well. And by the way, Discovery's done really, really well thus far um, across uh, more than, I think we're up to our fifth portfolio in the Discovery franchise at the moment. Uh, we've done really, really well over time, particularly the longer, the older portfolios. Um, because we've done that, taking that diversified approach, right? I didn't have enough confidence to pick Afterpay as a recommendation for our services back in 2017, but we included Afterpay as part of discovery because we would buy a two or three or four percent position, whatever it was, and take that, take the risk with that, knowing that if we were right, then we'd make a lot of money. If we were wrong, it wouldn't kill the portfolio overall. So this is a this is a weird one to answer, Hayden. Um, in the sense that I, I think I wouldn't want to buy 60 individual companies. But because we have constructed those portfolios, you're kind of investing in three preset portfolios with an overall market-beating aim. Um, so I think, uh, ironically, if you'd said, uh, here's my 60th best idea, should I buy it? I'd probably say, well, you've probably got better ideas elsewhere. If you bought the services and you bought the stocks because you believed in the stock approach, in those approaches, we've specifically um, picked 20 stocks to make, make sure we maximise the diversification with each of those. Do I think you could pick... A representative 20 or 30 or out of those 60, maybe, yeah. Um, But I think as long as you're happy to follow along with the portfolio itself, I think you'll find that the winners thus far have outperformed the losers, particularly in discovery. Um, And I would, our our advice has always been and remains to buy everyone in that portfolio. Because if you sold half your discovery stocks, would you sell the right half? I'm not sure. And so because of the way we pick those stocks in that portfolio, I would encourage you to follow the portfolio guidance specifically to make sure you maximise the diversification benefits. Ram, I don't expect you know the services particularly well, but do you have any thoughts? Feel free to disagree or agree. I might, might be more general in terms of newsletters
1: as a, a product. Um, I think yep. you kind of take one of two approaches. You kind of say on average they're going to be okay, in which case you buy everything. Or yep. what resonates for me is I say, well, I'm, I, I want to make my own decisions. I'm a self-directed yep. investor, but I really value these as an idea generation mechanism. Yeah, right, okay. So nice. I, you know, there's a bunch of stuff that I subscribe to, not because, and there's some that I've paid money to. I've never followed a single recommendation. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, but Makes but sense. I love yep. Yep. I love yep. to get the ideas. So it's just like yeah, someone nice. I'd like someone to pitch me an idea, and I go, "Oh, that's interesting," and I'll look into it myself and see whether I like it or not. So I kind of I, I like I use it almost as as a filter. Um, yep. So just 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 understand what you're trying to do here. Is is is, it, is Are you yep. all in? Or are you just sort of saying, hey, I, I just want some, some smart people yeah, to nice. give me a few ideas and then I'll, I'll run with it if I choose to?
0: I, mate, so I, the only thing I want to add, just, just, to, just to kind of fill out the, the portfolio answer on the, this particular... If it was ShareAdvisor, I completely agree with you. The only thing I would say on, on some of these services is we pick stocks that we wouldn't have picked. So I, There are stocks I wouldn't have picked on Share Advisor because I didn't have enough conviction in the individual idea. But as an individual basket, I was happy to take the higher risk, higher return elements of some of those companies because they were bought in a portfolio context. Mm. Which doesn't mean you're not right to pick them. Mm. I would just, as an advisor and some, I I, I was the advisor we launched when we launched Discovery 2017 originally. I would feel a little bit uncomfortable about people saying, "Hey, here's 20 stocks that have super high conviction and individually, I can pick any of them and do well." Yeah. So it was like if you're if you're bringing your own insights to the party i completely agree with you if, you, if you're sort of taking the advices and recognition as starting points and doing your own research and you want to be responsible for the success or failure of those ideas then go for it um but i just want people to know that they are individually lower conviction in terms of the likelihood of risk or downside loss mm. but they have higher potential upside that's why we've done them as a portfolio so as long as people are prepared to their own research and come to the conclusion you have i completely agree mm. i just want to couch the service in that context just to, for information for people yep. I mean, I'll say it again. I, I it sounds really harsh, but it's I genuinely yeah. believe it. I mean, <laughs> It's
1: your money, right? You can't, yep. this is what happens. People, people will get an idea from somewhere. It goes well and it is entirely their own <laughs> yeah, genius. Right. that have got those returns. And then there are yep. other people and not, it's a minority, yep. but it does, it irks me. It irks me a lot. No, they'll, they'll get an idea for free from somewhere yep. and it won't work yep. out well. And it's everyone's fault except their own, you know? So, yep. so you, exactly. you have to take ownership of something because yep. no one cares more about your money than you, <laughs> you know, you're pulling the trigger. You have to own the idea. And if that's, mm. That's a, that's a no one in the industry will say that to you because it's, it's yep. kind of like commercial suicide so i'm I'm the only one <laughs> dumb enough to sort of <laughs> do it. <laughs> But I'll do it because I genuinely, yeah. I would say it's it to my mom. To I'd say it yep. to my best Absolutely. friend. It's just sort of like yep. this. The, the reality is everyone everyone out there in the industry likes to tell you it's super easy to make a gazillion dollars and you know follow mm-hmm. me and you'll be buying you a Ferrari next week. And it's like, yeah, yeah. right. Um, or mm-hmm. you can take the far more realistic approach that you know, this is actually pretty hard. Mm-hmm. And if you're just looking mm-hmm. at this as something to help augment your, <laughs> your you know, tool set, and yeah. and that you're just going to use it as something to help help you find new ideas and then and help you develop as an investor. That's the way you've got to approach yeah. it. Right. This, this just yeah. it's just how it is. And if all of that sounds too hard, and I get it if it does, go buy the mm. ETF. And and, and and I don't say that negatively. <laughs> you'll do really well.
0: <laughs> so, you know, just but just just go in with eyes wide open is all I'm saying. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Um, last question from uh, from Hayden. He says, "My second question relates to liquidating shares due to other commitments, such as building a house. I understand your advice can only be general in nature. Thank you, but want to better understand what method you may apply in the event you need to liquidate some of your holdings to free up some cash. Should you one, look to sell the companies that show losses and are underperforming, noting they are form part of an overall portfolio recommendation designed for ten years, or sell off a portion of some of your best performing shares, or sell the shares you held the longest." Noting some holdings have been held for less than twelve months. Or four insert answer here. <laughs> Overall he says my plan is to invest in the longer term. However, with unexpected costs in building, we made it to turn to my portfolios to make up the difference. Thanks for your contribution to helping everyday investors. You're welcome. Kind regards, Hayden. That's very kind, Hayden, thank you. Mate, one, two, three, or four. Which shares do you sell when you're no, none rate? of that. It's all it's all approaching it from the wrong
1: from the wrong standpoint. Um, Be, kind. Uh, Be kind. No, no, it's like it's, every, everyone does. We all do. And and it's yeah. and I, I've said it before, I'll say it again. <laughs> the decision to sell has nothing to do with what's happened in the past. It's absolutely yep. not. You, you've got to imagine that you just blinked into existence today <laughs> and yep. you find yourself holding all of these different businesses. So whatever happened yesterday is whatever happened. So sometimes the best stock mm-hmm. to buy is the one that's down 50% in your portfolio. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's the one that's up 5x in your portfolio. Um, Mm. Mm. It depends, you know, the Mm. future prospects of a business have nothing to do with what its share price has done in the past. So, so yes, there are some taxation considerations. You want to try and prefer to sell things that you've held for more than 12 months because you get to pay half the tax that you otherwise would. So that's a consideration. But other than that, yep. it's really about just pretend. It's, pretend your whole portfolio is in cash, and if you had to buy it all back tomorrow, what would mm-hmm. you buy? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. that, that don't worry about your, your profit or loss. It only matters for taxation or or, or for you know yep. your track, you know, keep keeping um, track of of how your performance has been. Other than that, it's all about ice forward because you can't you know you can't you don't have a time machine, so it's kind of irrelevant in terms of what right. what you can practically change about the future from here. So I would sell, what would I sell to, to answer the question? I would sell the companies that I feel have the lowest return potential going forward. Ideally, they're ones that, that I've held, for, they're either in a loss, so there's no tax consideration to think of, or I've held them for more than 12 months.
0: Yep, I, I can't disagree with any of that, mate. Um, I will emphasize two points. The first is exactly your point, but I'm just gonna put it in, in practical terms the way I would do it. Let's say you got a $100,000 portfolio and you need 50 grand. As you say, mate, print it all in cash, allocate your first 50, and then whatever's left is left for building. Mm. So, you know, to, which is your point, but taking it on another level, rather than saying almost which ones do I feel less good about to sell, mm. start with your point, which is go to cash mentally and say, right, I've got a hundred grand worth of cash now. I'm going to rebuy 50 grand's worth. Which ones do I rebuy? Great way of thinking And whatever's about left it. is left, yep. right? And so it's exactly your point. I'm just, it's just a right, nice, frame. It's nice framing. It's a nice framing. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, second point is, I think, to your point about the, the tax thing, um, do exactly what I just said, but do it just with a tax component in mind. So if you were to sell it all and go to cash, whether you have hundred grand left or 90 grand or 80 grand or 70 grand, because um, if, if you need to free up 50 grand for building, for example, you have to free up 50 grand after tax. Mm. And so you know, the, the 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 returns from each of those businesses or, or the cash you, you liberate from each of those investments does depend, as you said, mate, on, on how much tax you got to pay for each. So if I got to sell a $10,000 investment and I get seven grand back, after tax, or I sell a ten grand investment, and get eight and a half grand back after tax. Then the future returns from each of those investments to to you know to be worthwhile. This you kind of got to do the math a little bit in your head. But you know if I if I got to sell two businesses, one gives me seven back, one gives me eight and a half back because of the tax difference, mm. and then I have to invest both. The one with, that gives me seven grand back has got to work ten fifteen percent harder to earn the same returns as the one that, uh, that gives me eight and a half back. If that makes yep. sense, I, I know it's it's a bit screwy and it's a bit hard to to to, to walk through in audio format. Um, but just remember if you're you know if two businesses are are, are relatively similar, or you're not entirely sure, generally speaking, sell the one that you have to pay less tax on, which obviously makes more sense, but it also means you're selling less shares to get the same amount of money you need for that construction uh, and you've got more left over after that. so um, not not exclusively because you know if you've got if I owned what's a, what's a hyper hyper expensive stock right now mate oh, I'm going <laughs> take I'm gonna, your picture. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to open a can of worms here, but I'm not an Afterpay pay bull person I'm not a, no, a, I'm not another. either. but if I owned after pay, and I owned um, go on Kogan um, then uh, I, I'd look at both and you know it, the, the honest answer is I would have made more money on Afterpay because the shares have gone through the roof so there's more tax to pay but I also think like for like I'm, I'm more bullish on Kogan than Afterpay so I'd still I still, I wouldn't necessarily not sell Afterpay because the tax is higher um, if I think that from here once I've sold both Kogan's got a better outlook I'd go with Kogan and equally if I thought Afterpay was, was better I'd go with Afterpay so um, wrap it all up and then see what we go from there. Nice, Mate, we're done. This is the end of our Mailbag episode for this Sunday. Thank you for your participation, Andrew. Thank you, listeners, for taking the time to spend some time with us. Um, As I say, semi-regularly, you've got a million other choices you can make, and we really appreciate you spending a little bit of time listening to us gibber on. Hopefully, we've helped you and your financial uh, futures a little bit, if we have. We really would appreciate you sharing the podcast. I don't do the usual tagline every time anymore because it's just boring me and I'm sure it's boring you. Uh, but if you, if you wouldn't mind giving us a rating, we really would appreciate it. it. Genuinely does help the podcast get noticed. If you would leave a review, that would also be really appreciated because it helps people um, know what to expect and what you like about the podcast and a name and a podcast and some stars are useful. Um, say, hey, Andrew's got a really smart, thoughtful, handsome, funny, interesting, intelligent, uh, witty—so uh, many, so many words you could choose to describe us. If you, if Modest, you were, we really would appreciate it. Moder- <laughs> no, no, those didn't come to mind. Um, we really, we really would appreciate it. If, you, if you're not subscribed yet, please do subscribe to that. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy the next week. We'll have a stock of the week episode coming for you up on Wednesday, and then Andrew and I will be back. And it's maybe next week, I might be ready to unveil the new news that I mentioned about some interviews that we might be able to do cool. hold that hold that thought in the meantime jump on strawman.com and check out strawman premium because I'm pretty excited to find out what Andrew's got to offer and I imagine nice, if I know Andrew you will be excited to find out about it too mm-hmm. in the meantime full on full on see ya